I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today I want us to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Now, if you're not sure where the book of John is located in the Bible, what I would ask you to do is if you're in a physical Bible, open up to the table of contents. Uh, There you're going to find that the Bible is broken up into two main sections, the Old and the New Testament. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. So find the New Testament, scroll down, find John and flip over to chapter 11. Now, if you're in an app, pull down the list of the books of the Bible, scroll down about two thirds of the way, there you'll find John, uh, and then go over to chapter 11. Now, 10 years ago this November, we lost my dad to an unexpected heart attack. Um, I remember the call that I received. I was working at the church up in Havasu and I was down in my office and my phone rang and it was my sister-in-law. And she said, Chad, dad has collapsed and we're rushing him to the hospital. The pain I felt in that moment was immense. I scrambled that day. I, I went straight to the pastor at the church and I explained what was going on and he said, go be with your family. And we gathered up the kid uh, with a, Knox was our only son at the time. And so we gathered up Knox and, and packed real quick and we hit the road. And the next couple of weeks were so hard. My dad passed the next day, uh, despite the best efforts of the doctors and the nurses in the hospital. And walking with my family while dealing with the pain myself was so difficult and it was unique to each and every one of us. And I'll be honest, I still feel the effects of that loss today, uh, obviously. You see, we all go through pain. Uh, Eventually, we're gonna lose loved ones. Uh, We go through financial struggles or we battle with some sickness or disease or physical ailment. Uh, We all battle with relational problems in relationships. We struggle with fighting anxiety and worry, especially right now during COVID and dealing with the, the ripple effects that COVID has on our lives. Guys, we all go through pain. But what does Jesus want us to do with that pain? How does Jesus want us to go through pain? Well, luckily for us today in, our, uh, in, this, in today's account of Jesus's life, Jesus not only shows us what to do in pain, he goes through pain himself. And he guides us, he directs us, he shows us what to do with pain and how to help others through their pain. And so today, I want us to turn to John chapter 11. So turn there now. <clears throat> Jesus has been ministering, uh, he's been teaching, Uh, He's really getting into some of the really deep theology, the teachings about himself and what he and his father are doing for the salvation of mankind. And then we come to this occurrence in John chapter 11. So 
Uh, let me explain what's going on because this is a long passage. We're, we're actually covering uh, 44 verses. So let me explain and we'll read excerpts uh, from today's passage. Basically, Jesus is ministering and a messenger comes to him and says, uh, Lazarus is very, very ill. Now, Lazarus uh, and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, were very close friends of Jesus. Uh, uh, according to what we know in God's word and what most scholars believe, Jesus often stayed with Mary, Martha, uh, and Lazarus, and, and they were people that he was relationally connected to. They were close personal friends. And so Jesus makes the decision after receiving word that Lazarus is ill, he makes the decision to stay where he's at for another two days. Now the journey from where he's at to Bethany, the city, the, the town where Mary, Martha and Lazarus lived was at least a day's journey if you just went straight through. But Jesus decided to stay for a couple of days where he was at. And when he decides to go, uh, he has this interaction, this exchange with his disciples where they're questioning his motives and why he would want to go to go see Lazarus when uh, it's very dangerous. You see, Jesus was being uh, actively pursued by the Pharisees, Sadducees, and other religious leaders because they wanted to convict him uh, of spreading heresy and, and uh, uprising amongst the people. And so it was dangerous for them to go. Now pick up with me in verse 17. So that's John chapter 11, verse 17. He's just told his disciples that they're gonna go. Uh, and one of the disciples looks at everybody and says, all right, let's go and uh, let's die along with Jesus. Uh, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already died and been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. And so Jesus and Martha have this exchange. And if you continue reading, we find that Mary then comes out and goes to talk to Jesus. And they have a very similar exchange, conversation as the one that Jesus had with Martha. Now, when Mary left, the crowd, the people who had come from Jerusalem to Bethany to console and comfort these two sisters, they went out with Mary also. And so pick up with me now in verse 33. Verse 33. Now when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply 
moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, when Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Man, what a miraculous account from Jesus's life and ministry. And I want us to notice a common theme that is taking place, an emphasis that Jesus places throughout this entire account, not just at one point or the other, but a common theme that, that, that Jesus emphasizes all the way through. Look with me in verse four. We didn't read this part of the passage, but look with me in verse four. Now, he's talking to his disciples. And so verse four says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Look with me now in verse 14. So verse 14. So he's speaking to the disciples again and he says, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. So let us go to him. Now look with me in verse 25. Verse 25, Martha and Jesus have just had this exchange, this conversation about the fact that Jesus could have healed Lazarus. And Jesus has uh, made the statement, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, of course he'll rise again. I know he will uh, at the resurrection in the last days. But look at what, verse, what Jesus says in verse 25 and 26. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, one last passage. Look with me in verses 41 and 42. Verses 41 and 42. So Jesus has gone to the tomb. Uh, he has had compassion on the grieving that he is seeing the people go through and the grieving that he's going through uh, at the loss of Lazarus. And look at what he says during his prayer. Verse 41. So they took, him, took away the stone, the stone that covered the tomb. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they 
may believe that you have sent me. You see, the common theme that we see through this entire account of Jesus's life is the theme that pain points people to Jesus. This did not occur by accident. Jesus makes it clear in the early part of this chapter that what has happened with Lazarus was not an accident or a natural occurrence. It has happened for the glory of God that, that Jesus would be recognized as the Son of God. You see, he's pointing people to him. He's pointing people to him and the rescue, the salvation that is found in him. I find it interesting that as Jesus approaches, Martha and Mary both had a plan. They had a plan. They, they confront Jesus almost and say, Jesus, if you'd just been here, you could have healed. We could have avoided all of this if you had just come. If you'd been here to heal Lazarus. You see, they had it all figured out. They had a way that was easy, that avoided the pain. They wanted to do things in the way that made sense to them. But Jesus had a completely different plan. Jesus' plan had a greater purpose. You see, he waited. He waited on purpose. He waited intentionally. If you go back and you read what the Jewish people believed in Jesus's day and time about what happens to a body and to the soul uh, after death, you would find that one of the common teachings, it's a misconception probably, but one of the common teachings is that after the third day of a person's death, the third day is when the soul actually left the body and went to its eternal dwelling place. And so the fact that Jesus waited until Lazarus had been dead for four days, he intentionally made a point to arrive on the scene after Lazarus had been dead for four days. He did this so that there would be no doubt in the people's minds of what he was about to do. He wanted this to be an undeniable miracle, an undeniable resurrection from the dead, a miraculous account. He also did it because four days after the death meant that there were several people who had come from the surrounding areas, including the city of Jerusalem, to come and comfort the family. This was part of a cultural expectation, a, a cultural norm. Uh, when you had someone pass away, people from the surrounding area would come and, and mourn and grieve and comfort the, the family who had lost that loved one. And so by waiting, Jesus knew that there would be more people there to witness what he was going to do. And he did all of this to point people to his purpose and power. Now this leads me to today's big idea. Uh, if you've ever watched my messages, you know that most of the time I give a big idea and it's basically a summary uh, of the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this. Our pain points people to his purpose and power. Let me say that again. Our pain points people to his purpose and power. Jesus intentionally took this moment to point people to his purpose and his power. Look with me again at verse 25. This is 
Everything hinges on these, these two verses, verses 25 and 26. So he's just had this exchange with Martha and look at what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, Jesus is being very intentional to point out and teach Martha and the people around him that he is the resurrection. He is the life. We cannot have eternal uh, existence outside of pain without Jesus. You see, when we die, we have two destinations. We're either gonna go to a place of eternal suffering because we have sinned. In other words, we've, we've broken God's law. We've done what is not right. We've done the wrong things. Or we can go to a place of eternal perfection where there is no pain and no suffering and we will be with Jesus. Those are our, our two options. There's nothing else. Uh, and maybe you're watching right now and you're confused or maybe you've got questions or, or maybe you're interested in following Jesus. You see, Jesus came and died so that we could, rather than having eternal pain and suffering, we could have eternal life. And he asks of you that you believe in him, what the Bible says about him, that you commit your life to following him and that you tell others about him. And if you've got questions about that today, or if you're ready to make a decision about following Jesus, what I, ask, what I would ask you to do is take your device and text the word changing to 94000. That's the word changing to 94000. Uh, we'll have someone reach out to you and we would love to answer any questions that you might have about following Jesus. But Jesus points Martha to his purpose and power in the midst of her pain. That's the point of what he's doing here. Romans 12, if you were to go and read that chapter, and I encourage you to do so. In Romans 12, it begins by telling us what a living sacrifice looks like. You see, our spiritual act of worship, according to Romans 12, verse 1, our spiritual act of worship is to live as a living sacrifice, that we lay ourselves aside, we lay our own opinions and mindsets and attitudes and life, we lay everything aside and instead we live in Jesus's mindset and his attitudes and his beliefs and his life, pointing people to him. And if you read, if you continue reading Romans 12, you find that it, it kind of lists out, it tells us what a living sacrifice actually looks like. And one of the interesting passages, one of the interesting attributes of being a living sacrifice is found in Romans 12, verse 15. And it says, weep with those who weep. Isn't that exactly what Jesus has done here in John chapter 11? He has wept with those who are weeping. It's very interesting. Look with me in verse 35. So he's had, he's feeling this immense amount of compassion because he's watching all of these people grieving the loss of Lazarus. And in verse 35, look at what it says. Jesus wept. 
Very simple. Jesus wept. Now, this book, the book of John, was originally written in the Greek language. And if you go back to the Greek that this was written in and you read it in that understanding, you'll understand that the words Jesus wept in our English, it doesn't mean that he, he teared up or he had a little sniffle. It means that he verbally and cr- cried out loud, that it was this display that he had tears pouring down his face. It wasn't something small and subdued. It was an outcrying of grief. He mourned with those who were mourning. He participated in their pain. And he felt the pain himself. Let's be honest for a minute. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that he was gonna walk over to that cave. He was gonna have them roll the stone away and he was gonna call out Lazarus, come out of that tomb. And he knew Lazarus was gonna rise from the grave. So why did he weep? Why did he cry if he knew that Lazarus was coming out of the tomb just moments from now? He wept because others were weeping. He didn't ignore or minimize their pain. He participated in their pain. And that participation pointed people to his purpose and his power. It showed people who he was. You see, we too often try to cover up pain. We try to move through it quickly. And many times we try not to address it at all. You know, when we, when we see someone else in pain, we try to minimize the pain that they're going through uh, or try to gloss over it or try to sugarcoat it in some way because we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to share in that because it's uncomfortable. And let's be honest, as Americans, we do anything and everything. We go above and beyond to avoid being uncomfortable. But look at what Jesus does He knows what's about to happen and yet he wept because he knew that the godly response to grieving was compassion and was to weep with those who wept. You see, Jesus pointed to people to his purpose and power in their pain. And we need to be more like Jesus. In pain, we need to grieve. And we need to do so in a healthy, godly way. When we see others in pain, we need to, through our love, sit with them and walk with them through that pain to be be comforters in it. And when we do that, his purpose and his power are displayed to all of those around us. When you get down to it, the purpose of pain is to point people to his purpose and power. That's the whole point. You see, we need to stop asking, how can I get out of this? And we need to start asking, how can I glorify God in this? How can I point people to Jesus in the midst of this pain? So how can you show his purpose and power in your pain. Some of you may be dealing with pain right now. Some of you may be suffering. Some of you may be going through difficult times. Some of you may be dealing with loss. And I think right now, more than most times in our history, right now, 
I think pain and suffering and struggle is more common. COVID has created that dynamic within our culture, within our society. So how do we show people his purpose and his power in our own pain? Let me give you some things to think about. First off, I think that when we go through pain, we should acknowledge it. Acknowledge your pain, call it out. Uh, And let me say something very quickly. I think right now, many of us in the midst of COVID, we're missing this step. I think that, that we are either unaware or we're unwilling to acknowledge the pain that we're dealing with because of what COVID is doing in our lives. I think we're struggling with isolation. I think we struggle to not see people and interact with people the way we're, we're used to. I think many of us have lost loved ones or have gotten sick ourselves. I think many of us are dealing with anxiety and stress as a result of what COVID has done. Many have lost jobs or lost income. Many of us are unsure about what is in store for us financially. And I think most of all, I think most of us are just simply exhausted. We're tired, we're sick of COVID and and what we have to do because of COVID. But the problem is, I don't think enough of us are calling out that pain. I don't think enough of us are recognizing the, the exhaustion and the anxiety and stress and the pain that we're dealing with because of COVID. So I think the first thing that we need to do, no matter what the struggle is or what the pain that we're going through may be, we need to acknowledge it. Stop denying it and acknowledge it. The second thing is be prepared for all of the unexpected emotions that you're going to experience because of the pain that you're going through. You know what? During COVID, I've seen so many of us uh, in their pain lash out. Uh, I've seen people uh, seek opportunities to to hurt others, to, to speak ill of them, to spread rumors and lies and gossip. We seek out those who spread hate rather than seeking out those who spread godly, biblical mindsets like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We seek out the wrong things because in the midst of our pain, we want others to be in pain. For one reason or another, our sin makes us desire that. And so rather than Indulging in those negative emotions, I think it's time that we recognize our pain and that second of all, we prepare ourselves for all of these unexpected emotions that we feel. And instead of indulging in those negative emotions, in our grief, in our struggle, we need to lean into godly biblical mindsets and emotions. I think the third thing that we need to do Uh, in order to show people his purpose and power in our pain is to understand that your grieving process is going to be unique to you. You know, when my father passed away almost 10 years ago, every single person in my family dealt with it differently. We, We all struggled 
And we all felt that pain, but every single one of us responded, reacted to that pain differently. It was unique to each and every one of us. The fourth thing is that we need to seek the support of godly people in our lives. We need to seek out godly friends, ministers, pastors, uh, maybe even counselors to help us walk through that pain in a godly biblical way. Guys, let me just say it. It's okay to go and see a counselor or a therapist when you're struggling with something mentally or emotionally. It's actually supported in Proverbs. When, if you go read through Proverbs, you're gonna read multiple times where Proverbs tells us to go seek the counsel of wise people. And so if you're struggling, if you're going through a, a, a time of pain in your life, go find those godly people. Maybe go find a godly counselor or therapist to help you in that moment. The next thing that we can do in, to show people his power and purpose in our pain is to take care of yourself in the midst of your pain. You see, neglecting yourself will never let, make you grow. Neglecting your physical body, your mental health, your, your spiritual health, neglecting yourself will never bring about growth. It just doesn't happen. And the last thing is kind of related to that. You must move through your pain. And as a, a counselor, as someone who counsels people often, this is the thing that I th think most people get hung up on. They get in a moment of pain and they go through the grieving, but they don't take action to actively look to, uh, to ways to get out, to move through that grieving process. You see, grieving is a process. Uh, and we can't get hung up. We can't get roadblocked in any step on that process. We must move all the way through it. Don't let your pain fester and become something unhealthy. And again, I would encourage you to talk to someone and let that person help you move through that process. So those are some pointers to help you when you're going through pain. But what about if someone in your life is going through pain? How can you help them? You know, I've just spoken about going to godly friends or ministers or pastors or, or maybe even a counselor. But what if someone comes to you as a godly person to help them go through their pain? What can you do to show his purpose and power in others' pain? Well, the first thing that I think we do is we need to intentionally walk when someone, when they, with someone when they go through pain. Uh, again, I think we all too often want to dismiss or diminish or, or stay away from pain because it's uncomfortable. But we don't need to be looking for the easy way out. When we know someone who's going through pain or through a struggle, we're called to walk with them, to stick with them, to seek them out and to help them in whatever ways that we can do that. The second way that we can show his purpose and power in others' pain is to understand that grieving looks different for every person. You can't impose your grieving process on someone else as they grieve. The length 
the extremity, the response, and the emotions are going to be unique for every single individual. And rather than imposing what you think the grieving process should look like for someone, you simply need to walk with them as they go through their unique grieving process. The third way that we can show his purpose and power in others' pain is to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, The thing that I find most often that people uh, do that hurts others while they're struggling with pain is they're too quick to give advice or too quick to, to make it about them, uh, make it about that, that person rather than about the person that's going through the pain. You know, rather than being so quick to speak, hear them, hear their stories, make everything about them, not about you, and offer support. You know, help them through that difficult time. Uh, and tied to that, Uh, is the fourth thing, give them practical aid, give them practical support, things that can really make a difference in their lives. Offer to go get them groceries or to to bring meals. Offer to come over and maybe do some some chores or or help them with calls and and bills that they're going to have to go through. When my dad passed away, one of the things that uh, me and some of my siblings did was to help mom go through the process of making the phone calls that she had to make and taking care of the, the unfortunate business side uh, of, of someone's death. You could offer to watch kids so that they can go privately by themselves without having to worry about the kids and grieve. Uh, Go with them uh, to a support group or to see a counselor if that's what they need. There are so many practical things that we can do to offer and support help when somebody's going through pain. And so look for practical ways to help them. And lastly, the last way that we can show his purpose and power in other person's pain is to check up on them. You know, I set reminders in my phone when I uh, find out about someone going through a difficult time. I'll actually set a reminder to check in with that person the next day so that I don't forget. You know, one of the things that we need to do is stick with someone. In in the account here in John chapter 11, people came from from other towns and stayed days with Mary and Martha to walk them through the process of grief. You know, through the death of my dad, I leaned on my faith more than ever. And I know that some of the people around me, family and friends, I know that they leaned on their faith. You know, and if you've listened to many of my messages, you know that I talk about my dad often. But usually I talk about my dad, especially about the ways that he pointed people to Jesus. And there will be more more stories coming uh, in, in coming weeks, months, and years about what my dad did to show people the love and the rescue that Jesus provides. But the point is, is that my dad pointed people to Jesus. And in the pain of losing my dad, I now have the opportunity to point people to the purpose and power of Jesus. Pain can do that. But will you do the same 
in the midst of your own pain, by walking with others in the midst of their pain and showing them Jesus, showing them Jesus's purpose and power in the midst of pain. That's what Jesus does here. He, he, he used this opportunity to show people his rescue, his salvation. Will you lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, thank you. Lord, we pray for all of us and all of, uh, all of those that we know who are currently going through, through painful times. We pray for all of us and our entire society as we go through the difficulties and the struggles and the pain that has been caused by COVID. Lord, ultimately, we pray that no matter what's going on in our lives and the lives of other people, that we would point people to your purpose and your power. Whether things are good, things are bad, whether we're struggling or whether we feel blessed, no matter what's going on, we pray that we would lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. That through our pain, we could show people that you have a purpose and you have power so that lives would be changed, so that people would come to know you as their Lord and their Savior. So Lord, use us. Help us to live in the example that Jesus gives us in John chapter 11 and help us as we walk through this. We thank you so much and pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.